going into it knowing your why is really important because there's going to be moments where it's midnight and you're really tired and you want to go to bed and you've got stuff you need to do because nobody else is going to do it. And if you don't get it out there, you don't get paid. Being able to come back to why you're doing it in that moment is really important. At least for me, there was like a huge learning curve and also a big period of growth where it was like, I like don't make any money if I don't work. And then I would look at like, okay, I'm not making enough money. Like I need more work. Where do I find clients? What are they going to pay me for? Um, And then creating those things, whether it's a program or a course or a package and knowing that it's going to be hard and then knowing that why so you can come back to it in the moments where you're like, man, that full-time job was so cushy. I should maybe just do that again. (laughs) Welcome to Thriving United. If you're an innovator, an entrepreneur, or someone who relentlessly pursues success, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, discussing how to grind, grow, and succeed as an entrepreneur. You only have one life, so live it. I invite you to build something bigger than yourself, to create value and change the lives of others, to ultimately change the world. With that said, let's thrive. What is up, Thrivers? I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, and today I'm speaking with the entrepreneurial-minded, world-traveling, yoga enthusiast, Amanda Kingsmith. Amanda lives by her own rules, staying constantly curious and deeply passionate about every endeavor she pursues. Amanda is not only an advisor at Praxis, but also a serial explorer who has traveled to over 50 countries, spanning across six continents in her life thus far, and I presume that number is only growing. She is also the co-host of the World Wonders podcast, a show with over 500,000 downloads, alongside her partner, Ryan, where they discuss inspiring stories of travel, adventure, and self-directed living. Additionally, she is a master in the business of yoga, creating a yoga business boot camp to help leverage others into having a thriving yoga business. Simply put, and I think we can all conclude here, Amanda is a value-creating machine. And for that reason, it is my honor to welcome her to the show today. Amanda, welcome to Thriving United. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for that intro. That's really flattering. And yeah, I'm doing great. Just excited to be here with you. Sweet. So if you will, fill us in on anything that I missed and tell us what is the main thing that you currently are doing on your journey? Yeah, so you, you got pretty much everything. I do a lot of different things and people are often like, wait, what? I'm so confused. Like what's going on here? Uh, but you you hit them all really nicely. Um, right now I am doing an advanced yoga teacher training. So it's a 300 hour teacher training based in Vancouver, British Columbia. So that's taking up a lot of my time right now, but it's been a really, really incredible journey. That's great. So I do want to dive into all things related to you, but specifically starting with Praxis, because that's how we've met. Um, what are, I guess, the pivotal choices or the opportunities that's leveraged you into the position that you currently hold at Praxis? Yeah, so I really have my partner, Ryan, to thank for everything Praxis. He he kind of went on a journey of he started listening to Free Domain Radio. He found out about FEE or the Foundation for Economic Education. He went to a FEE conference. And at that time, a number of Praxis staff actually worked for FEE. He totally fell in love with the organization. And then he went on a hunt for job opportunities. And at that point, Praxis was quite new. And he found Praxis through FEE's website and was like, I want to do this program with this company. 
and he applied and we really weren't sure what was going to happen because we're both Canadian and that was obviously based in the US. So he went through like trying to get a work visa. His first couple got denied and then he ended up getting a TN work visa uh, to move down to Atlanta, Georgia. So he was in the Praxis program. So even though I didn't have a work visa, I moved down with him for a couple of months and had the opportunity to go meet the Praxis team in Charleston. I really had no idea what Praxis was all about. Like you, you've probably had this experience where, you know, people are like, what is this thing? And you're like, I don't really know exactly what to tell you. I had that on the side of like, people were like, what is Ryan doing? And I'd be like, <laughs> oh, like an apprenticeship program that's sort of entrepreneurial focused. And people were like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's interesting. And so, yeah, met the team, got to hang out in Charleston with them, uh, continued to get to know people. And Praxis was growing quite a bit by the time that Ryan finished. And Cameron asked Ryan and I to both come on in the place of, or in the role of advisors. And so, I was like, yeah, this team sounds awesome. What you guys do is great. I love your mission. And since then, I've been in an advisor role. So it's been like two and a half going on three years that I've worked with Praxis. And my role has changed a ton. I've seen so many iterations of how the company does apprenticeship advising. And then just recently in the month of December, I also stepped into the pre-program and module one bootcamp advisor role. So I also do that. That's awesome. So I guess I want to really dive into like, what is the mission? You touched on it briefly. What is the mission of Praxis and how is the role you're currently in or how does that resonate with your personal goals and, and your and your future? Yeah, so I, I'm trying to think of how to kind of state the mission of Praxis just since I, I am a consultant with the company, so I'm not full-time staff or anything. And I don't want to like do Isaac a disservice because what he's created is so, so amazing. But to me, it's about making waves in in the way that we look at education and the way that we, we look at work. It's kind of, you know, there's been these traditional views and, and still very much is so like how we need to do things in life. And for me, it really aligns with what I believe in because I'm a really, really firm believer and super passionate about people doing things that they're excited about. I feel like I spent so much of my life just like walking down the path that was laid out for me and not really ever questioning it or not really ever recognizing that there was something different. And I think when it's hard because, you know, your parents do their best in most cases to try to lead you in the direction that you should go in. But it's like, is that right for everyone? Like, do I fit into this mold that somebody's trying to put me in? And I was consistently feeling like things were like not right for me. Like I describe it as trying to fit into a dress that like, sure, it's my size and like it looks okay, but it just feels a little bit uncomfortable. And I feel like a lot of people in Praxis can also relate to that. You know, they're young they're ready to start their careers or maybe they just don't know what they want to do quite yet. They feel like college isn't the right option for them or they've tried college and are like, this is definitely not right for me and they need something else. And I feel like Praxis really fills that gap nicely in terms of teaching skills that young people need to get them into roles, to get them experience, to help discover what they want to do, if that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. That actually really describes my mentality pretty accurately. So touching on college and what was your experience with college? I know you went to college. Where did you go? Uh, what was your major and what was the value gained from that? Yeah. So I went to the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I majored in business. So I have a bachelor of commerce and my major is in marketing. And it's really funny because I don't 
love to tell people that I have a major in marketing because I graduated in 2011. And so we never did anything with like digital marketing, which to me is like pretty much all marketing now. So I feel like people are like, oh, you have a marketing degree. Like you can come like help me do this thing. And I'm like, oh, we talked about like print ads and like magazine ads. So like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, maybe not me that should do that. (laughs) That's a great point of discussion because I realized that at first when I was going, uh, so I'm currently a dual enrollment student and I uh, have been there for two semesters now. And when I first started, uh, I was planning on majoring in computer science. And then I realized something that technology is so advancing that the code that people are learning today might be irrelevant years later. And same thing with you and your experience with marketing. It just, it changes so rapidly that at the point you graduate in most fields of education, it becomes irrelevant. And does that, is, does that, do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I think it's, I mean, you can look at so many different fields out there, like, you know, even the medical industry, like it's changing so rapidly. And there's people who have been practicing for, for years and years who like didn't learn this stuff in school and are now learning it kind of in the workforce type thing. And I think it's the same with something like, you know, I went, I, and I didn't even go to business school that long ago. Like, 2011 was only eight years ago. Like it's not that massive yet. There's so much stuff that's changing in the digital world that makes the whole way that we do marketing totally different. And so I think I think that is definitely an argument for, you know, just going out and getting work experience. And I found even like graduating, it's like, okay, now I'm in a job and they need to essentially teach me what we do. So what did I learn? I, I don't know. I guess I learned to... I, I was public schooled, so I, I feel like I did learn some like self-regulation, how to take care of myself, how to adult a little bit, how to study. Um, college definitely helped me like get rid of sort of the p- perfectionism mentality that I'd had before then. But in terms of like actual skills to take to a job, I feel like I was mostly just taught what I needed once I was in those roles. That makes a lot of sense. And that's why I was so pulled to Praxis and why you resonate with it fully. Um, is because it just jumpstarts that it's you're learning in the now as opposed to learning about something that might become irrelevant. You, you just, and I love that. So what would be your biggest failure while working at Praxis this far and how have you grown from it? Oh, that's a really good question. I think it's always a little bit challenging for me to see a participant not succeed. Like I feel like I always take that a little bit as like I didn't do my job as a coach as good as I could have. Like if a participant gets let go from their business partner, for example, and you know, TK, who's my direct report, turns back to me and says, like, well, were there any red flags about this? And to me, if I'm working with somebody every couple of weeks on a call, like I should be getting some of those red flags. And if I'm not getting them, I'm not asking the right questions. So I think for me, those instances, which are which are not super, super common, but they have happened. Um, those to me are like a reminder of, OK, you know, taking words at face value is not always the best way to do things with people. And you need to probe a little bit deeper and really ask good questions and let people um, kind of problem solve for themselves, like not telling them what the answer is, but letting them kind of um, work through it themselves. And then they'll be more willing to kind of open up like, oh, yeah, that did happen to me. Or like, yeah, things are a little bit of a struggle right now type thing. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to allow them to wrestle with the thoughts themselves. Otherwise, they're not going to truly learn for themselves to take action later on. Right? They're just following rules or following just 
uh, direction. They're not, you know, paving their own path per se at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th- I think it's really interesting because I've always been super, super independent. My mom said I was that kid that was like trying to tie my own shoelaces before she taught me how to tie shoelaces. So I would like refuse her help with it. But she'd be like, you don't know how to do this. Like, just let me help you. And I was like, no. And so I-, I see that in so many participants that I work with. But it's kind of like, you know, being older than most of them and having more experience it's like me sitting there telling them what the experience should be like isn't going to be helpful like people need to learn these things on their own um so there's definitely that aspect of it which is challenging when you see a direct solution you're like if you do this thing you will receive this benefit but people need to learn that on their own right and everybody's experiences are slightly different and the challenges are going to be slightly different the angles at which that occurs so definitely um i want to now diverge from Praxis and talk about your podcasting career because that is near and dear to my heart. And I want to just dive into the World Wanderers podcast specifically. Um, what inspired you to begin pod, uh, that podcast? Yeah, so I guess so. I graduated from college, um, went on a six month backpacking trip with my partner Ryan. We came back, we moved into an apartment together in Calgary, and we got kind of like we call them our big kid jobs. So we started working in corporate. And I think almost immediately it was this feeling like, oh, this dress does not fit right. Like, but I'm doing my best type thing. And about a year into that, we're like, let's go on another trip again, because we didn't really know what else to do. We were like, we know we feel good when we travel. So let's just go do that again. So we saved for a year. And after two years of doing that, we quit our job, sold our stuff, went to South America. And one of the beautiful things about travel is that when you're not working and you're just kind of exploring, you really do allow yourself to get to a point where you crave purpose and meaning, or at least that was our experience. So we like let ourselves explore and get kind of bored. And then we started thinking about, you know, what's next for us. And Ryan was like, I want to move somewhere different and I want to start doing something different. And I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. And kind of within that conversation, he was like, I think we should start a podcast. And this was like 2014. So podcasting was definitely not like super unheard of, But I feel like I was just kind of getting into it. Ryan had been listening for a couple of years and I was sort of like, you can't just start a podcast. Like, who are we to start a podcast? He was like, yeah, but you can. That's the beautiful thing. Like, you just, we need to get some microphones, pick a topic and start recording. And I was like, okay, let's give it a shot then. And so we did a couple of really funny sort of like test trials while we were in South America. So we would sit on, you know, one of our bunk beds in a hostel dorm when everyone else was gone during the day and just like record on the notes in one of our iPhones. (laughs) So I don't know if either of us still has those. Those would be really funny to listen back to. Uh, But so fast forward, we we got back home to Canada. We moved to a little mountain town outside of the city we'd been living in. I started working in retail. Ryan started working in a restaurant, uh, just barista, chef type stuff. And we started a podcast on the side. So pretty much like our days off and our free time was dedicated to like creating this thing that we had no idea how to create and putting it out there. And I haven't listened to any of our first episodes for a number of years now, but I'm pretty sure if I did, I'd be like, oh, that's a hot mess. Um, but that's, relate. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of creating though, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. really cool to be able to see where you were at and where you've come. Right. Um, I would never to- l- listen to them, but I would never delete them either. Um, and Absolutely. Yeah. So how have you grown from this podcasting experience? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> well, oh, just give me, just give me the number one or <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the biggest thing has been, okay. So there's a couple big things. I think learning to speak well has been a big one. I feel like our first episode is probably full of likes and ums and uhs and I mean and I know and we I definitely still have those ticks within my language but learning to convey my thoughts a little bit more concisely has been one of them that's been really positive. Uh, having deep and meaningful conversations about something that I think maybe we never would have talked about like not that we didn't talk about our travels like we would definitely talk about those things but really like digging deep into what those experiences were like and how they impacted us personally has been very, very life-changing and very transformational. Just to kind of understand that for us, travel has become so much more than just going out and seeing a cool place and taking a photo and posting it on Instagram for our friends and family to see. Like it's really been like transformational uh, work for us to go out and travel, which maybe sounds a little bit weird, but that's definitely been like one of my takeaways from podcasting. And then probably like the most impactful thing, which I never would have expected has been the community. We have friends all over the world who we've either met because we've interviewed them or because they've listened to the podcast or because we like have gone to travel blogging conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And when we moved to Mexico City last year, we're like, let's get a two bedroom apartment so that like all of our friends from Canada can come down and visit. And it was kind of interesting. We ended up with a one bedroom, which I'm really glad about because none of our friends came to visit. It was all our travel friends, like all these people who we know through the world wanders who actually came to Mexico City and we got to hang out with. And I think that for us, it's been like, we've been kind of these like people who are on sort of a weird journey. And so it's nice to meet other people that are on like that same weird journey as you like kind of when you find praxis and you enter into it and you're like, Oh wow, I'm not the only person who felt like college was wrong for me. It's like mm -hmm. nice for us to also have this like, okay, we're not the only people like in our late twenties, early thirties, like still wanting to travel type thing. Absolutely. It's the connection is such a powerful thing. It, it makes you like, I, I know this. The, the quote is, uh, "You're the average of the five people you hang around the most." And so, creating a community of people that are also like-minded individuals is just—it's very inspirational to see what other people are doing with the same mentality that you have. Um, it's very nice. Thank so, you. so, so, how did you grow your podcast's influence? Uh, looking more on the like entrepreneurial side of things. Yeah. So <laughs> it was very organic. It's kind of funny to think back to that time we used. Uh, Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas's resources quite a bit to actually start the podcast. But we had a big like barrier to entry in terms of like, what microphones do we need? What software do we use? How do we edit this? What are we going to use as the platform? So I feel like so much of that was a little bit like challenging at first. And then we launched this thing and it was like, okay, it's out there. Like, phew, we did it. And then we would just see like, oh, okay, you know, like five people listened, like, okay, cool. Probably like both of our parents, plus like maybe a grandma or something like that. Maybe a friend is tuned in. And then I remember a couple months in, we had a day where like 50 people listened and we were like, oh my gosh, like 50 people are listening. Like who are these 50 people? And now it's interesting because we have like hundreds of people that listen every single day. And I don't really like think about that very much. So a, a lot of our growth was very organic. Like we didn't do a lot of things right at first. We didn't launch with three episodes. We didn't have a Facebook page. We didn't have an Instagram account. We were barely sharing it. 
our website wasn't very good. We didn't have a newsletter. We didn't start a Facebook group. Like we didn't do anything that people are like, this is how you build a business. Like we didn't have a product. We were just like two people who like wanted to talk about travel and put it out there. And then once we realized that people were actually listening and resonating with what we were saying, we started looking at like, okay, like what are some ways that we can improve this? And that's when we started kind of building out the business side of it. Like, oh, let's create a freebie that makes people want to sign up for our newsletter and let's capture their emails so we can communicate with them more. And let's like actually create proper social media for this and build our website so that it looks nice. And then um, I got to the point where, and, and you can probably relate to this as a podcast host, it's like you see the numbers, but you're like, who are these people? Like, who are they actually? Like, who is sitting mm-hmm. in their house listening to me talk right now or on their bike or at work or in their car? Mm-hmm. And so we created a, fri- a private Facebook community to actually try to get to know who these people were. And that was really awesome because all of a sudden it put like faces to faceless numbers and we've actually been able to be like okay like this is who our community and tribe is so and so that's where that's when like the real connections start to uh transpire yeah absolutely it went from being this sort of one-sided like these people listen to us to being like who are you like tell me why you love travel and we actually can build relationships from that which i i really really love that aspect of it Awesome. So, so maybe some of my listeners have a desire to work remotely uh, or to live a more nomadic lifestyle. Um, what is probably the most valuable lesson you've learned that would allow these individuals to live in that way? Yeah, for sure. I think you need to be super, super, super organized. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and knowing too that, I, I mean, remote work can happen in so many different ways. It could be based in your own city. It can be, you know, traveling within your own country. So maybe visiting a couple of different cities in in America, or maybe you have Canadian listeners, you can move to another city, or maybe it's doing like what we did where you base yourself in an international city or you travel around a whole continent. Um, But knowing that you need to be organized within that and remembering that you also do need to work. So working remotely is great, but there is the work component in it. I think that when we first set out to Asia as our first kind of like, oh, we're digital nomads, I'd imagined it being like, oh, we arrive in a place and we get to go explore a little bit. Then we come back and we like check our emails, do a little work, go out for dinner. And it's kind of more of like you arrive and you're like, I haven't checked my inbox for like 12 hours because I've been traveling and I need to like get this stuff done so that I can get paid and not get fired so that I can keep doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still like very amazing. I love it. But I think there is kind of this like sort of glamorized idea of what working and traveling looks like. Right. And it's, it's not as, go ahead. yeah, it's much less glamorous. <laughs> right. It's not as fluid as you might picture it to be. Um, totally. Yeah. So I want to go back to your childhood. You talked on it briefly uh, with your mom. Uh, what was it like specifically the form of education? I know you said you're public schooled. And how did that turn you into the person you are today? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it's, I, I mean, it's always hard to know like how you would be different. This is something I've always wondered, like, would I be different if I had been like homeschooled or unschooled or gone to even a different elementary school in the town that I grew up in? And I'm sure obviously I would be because those were really formative formative years. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, public school taught me some good things. It created some not so great habits for me. Um, I was super, super social. Like my mom put me in preschool a year early because I was like super talkative and I was always asking why. And, you know, I that would have been like the early 90s. So (laughs) there wasn't like the Internet. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I feel like she was probably just like, I don't really know the answer to that. Like, <laughs> you should go play with some friends, maybe. Love it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know like what that would have necessarily been like, but I think I got like I made really great friends and relationships. Um, I think obviously like I learned <laughs> some things. I feel like one thing about school that I found versus travel is that I always really hated. I don't know what you guys call it where, where you're from. We call it social studies where I'm from. And it's basically mm-hmm. like history and kind of more like government type stuff. Like it's where you'd learn about like Canadian election systems and stuff. And I thought it was so boring. Like I remember learning about like world wars and just being like, man, this is so boring to learn about. And then, you know, I took a trip to Germany and I was like, wow, like this is fascinating. Um, So I feel like school really doesn't do a good job at like teaching you about the world necessarily. I feel like actually being in the world is, is much better, at least for the way that I learn. Um, so I think that's one thing that kind of comes to mind. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that does answer my question. I, I, I resonate with that um, mentality as well, learning by uh, immersing yourself in the environment as opposed to just reading about it. And Isaac talks about uh, like learning how to ride a bike um, in that way um, mm-hmm. and how school like basically just, uh, I, what's the word, I guess uh, dilutes the um, the experience to just, um, this is what a bike is composed of. Uh, this is how you would ride a bike, blah, 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 as opposed to just getting on a bike and truly understanding it, um, in its fullest context. Um, so I totally. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the whole concept of praxis too. Like instead of sitting for four years in a classroom and learning about business, why don't you just go into a business and learn about business? Like it's definitely, I think the best way to learn and, and everyone learns a little bit differently. So I think that, people kind of need to find their own learning style and work within that. But for me, I'm very like tactile, visual. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, reading something in a book is is fine, but I really resonate. Like when I can stand in front of like a castle or a monument or a statue or like a war memorial, it's like, it hits me. Like I feel it in my body. Like, wow, like this big thing happened versus reading in a book is like, okay, I need to like memorize some dates for a test next week. Right. It connects you emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you figure out, I guess, uh, what you wanted to do with your life? Uh, Or how did you discover what makes you come alive? Uh, It's a very, I know that's like more of like a continuous journey type of thing, but um, I know you are uh, very passionate about yoga and things of that nature. Uh, So how did you discover that? Yeah, a lot of trial and error. I think I, you know, did a lot of things as a kid, like I took art camps and tried all the different sports, never really resonated with any of those sports. Um, Then I went to school and I took like as many different classes about things that I could to try and figure out like what makes me feel like I come alive. And I feel like travel was like a moment where I went backpacking for the first time and was like this, like this makes me come alive. And then I think that I kind of didn't understand how to bring that into a career. Like I kind of always, uh, not always, I kind of had in my early career years, like this sort of, okay, I feel free while I'm traveling and I feel really confined while I'm working. So I need to travel to enjoy work type thing. And then I kind of switched my mentality to like, okay, 
So I feel this feeling while I'm traveling. There must be a way to get this feeling while I'm working too, because I think that there's sort of this natural drive in humans to want to feel purposeful. Like I think we really feel that is like an an innate thing that we want. And I experienced that when I was in South America, like I'm traveling and I'm traveling and then I get a little bored because I'm not really doing much other than like writing kind of a every couple of days, like travel blog on my website for friends and family. And I was like, okay, there there must be a way to get this feeling working. So it was like, I kind of went and sought after it when we moved. So I started with like, okay, let's get a job that doesn't have a lot of responsibility so that I can kind of find time in my personal life to really like try some things, like read some books, take some courses, like do some things that make me feel excited. So that's like, that's where the World Wanderers was born. That's when I I also started working as a studio manager at a yoga studio. It's also when I did my first yoga teacher training program. And I just started like doing these things until I was like finding stuff that I liked. And I, I, I guess I think part of it happened a little bit quickly because I was already like, how old was I at that time? Like 25 going on 26. So I'd already had like a lot of my early 20s to try to like figure some stuff out. So I feel like my no pile was like building up quite a quite a bit. And I had this opportunity to be like, okay, these are the things that like, I feel like I really love. Like, for example, for me, yoga was like, I love yoga. Like I love being on my mat. I love the space. I love the way I feel like maybe doing a teacher training is something that I'd like to do. Does that does that sort of make sense? I feel like that was a bit bit of a convoluted answer. <laughs> no, that, that, I totally understand that. So, do you believe that everybody's interest or passions can can be monetizable? That there is a way that, to do that. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a really interesting question. So I think in you know being alive in 2019 is a really cool time to be alive because I do think the answer is yes to that. I do think though that it is important to look at like what you're doing and decide like if it's something you want to turn into a business or something that you want to make money with. I think it's beautiful that we can do that. But I also think that there's some hobbies that like we just like as hobbies and there's also nothing wrong with that. I think it's really great to be able to cultivate things that you just love to do because you love to do them. Like, you know, just because you love drawing doesn't mean you have to create a business out of drawing. I think it's amazing that we can create Etsy stores and sell our stuff if that's what you want to do. But I also think it's nice to be able to like make that choice consciously. Does that yes? Does that yes. make sense? Right. So I know some people argue that if you take your passions and then put it into work form, that sometimes that can uh, burn you out on your passions and then ruin the experience completely. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? For sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, I, I mean, I think it's very different individual to individual, but I do think that that is a thing that can happen. And I, I even see it like in the yoga space because I help yoga teachers build their businesses. And I see it with them being like, but I like just got into yoga because I love like got into yoga teaching because I love yoga. And I, you know, I don't really want to do like marketing and branding and websites. And it, it's sort of an interesting It's an interesting area because I think that if you want to make money off of something, you do need to kind of understand that business side and do some things to be strategic. But I think it's okay to love something and want to just do it a little bit outside of the thing that makes the most of your money and just keep it kind of like as like a side passion or maybe like a really small side hustle. Um, And we've even found that a little bit with the world wanders. Like when we set out to Asia, 
for like, I guess the second time, it would have been the fall of 2016. You know, we were both working for Praxis part-time. I was still working for the yoga studio that I worked for back when I, before I started teaching yoga that I still work for. And then we're like, let's like really like give this thing a really solid shot. Like let's try and make this our full-time income. And it felt like we got so caught up in like stats and numbers and what people liked most. And it kind of sucked a little bit of the joy out of it. So we kind of took a look at at that and pulled back a little bit. And we're like, okay, you know, this started as something that made us really happy and excited. Like, let's go back to that. And it's kind of interesting because our download numbers actually went up with that. And I was like, okay, I think that we are our best selves when we're not putting pressure on ourselves to get a bunch of sponsors or to make a bunch of money. So why don't we bring like more of our money in from other things, but still have this as something that we feel excited about on the side. So I think that's a good example of like, you can do things that maybe make you some money or maybe make you a lot of money, but you don't necessarily like be super intentional about building a business with. Right. So do you, so this is kind of my philosophy and it's uh, that I guess fulfillment lies at the intersection of being able to find that sweet spot or um, the, the cross-section between your skills, abilities, interest, and a income or a monetizable way or, um, or those mon- being monetized. Uh, that's where you can find the fulfillment that most people desire. And that's why I think entrepreneurship is so uh, inspiring and beautiful is because that is like a direct way to do that. It's, and it's to build something bigger than yourself that ultimately expresses your inner core self and your passions and values. Um, but it also allows you to live a uh, sustainable, uh, fruitful life. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. I think that that's great. I think that, yeah, I, I think that's where I sit as well. I definitely believe that also with like a small caveat that's like, if you love something, but you don't want to make money off of it, that's cool too. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. But if you want to do it full-time, recognizing that you do need that money aspect of it, I think that that's really important for sure. Mm-hmm. So as you've helped other people grow their yoga businesses, uh, what is probably one of the biggest challenges that you've had doing that? Um, what have you learned from that? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, so one, there's like selling people on this idea that you know, business can be fun and it doesn't have to be icky. Like even in my, in my teacher training, we started the business section yesterday and you like see a couple people, like a couple people are like lit up by it. And a couple people are like, want to crawl in a hole and die. And they're like, I just want to like teach some yoga. Like I don't want to create a website. And, you know, I think that the reality of 2019 is also that like we need to be online we need to be building things like websites we need to be showcasing what we can do because there's so much noise out there that if you're not out there like people aren't going to discover you it's just not going to happen like word of mouth marketing absolutely still a thing Um, can be very very beneficial to any type of business but specifically a yoga business but you're also going to have to do a little bit of effort to get those first people through the door so that they can see your skill set so I think selling people on that and and helping them do it in a way where they feel good about it has been one of my biggest challenges Um, the other one has been you know, kind of helping people work through the idea that it's okay to make money in an industry that's, you know, heavily rooted in a spiritual side of things. I think people often really struggle with that. And 
It's interesting because I, I've definitely had like my own money stories and, and money things going on, but most of it wasn't related to that. It's never been a question to me about like, okay, so if I, you know, if I came to your house and taught you yoga for an hour, like, of course, we're going to do some sort of exchange. Maybe it's like, maybe you have a service that I want and we exchange that. But if not, it's going to be monetary. Like, that's just how things work. And it's not always so straightforward with people in in the yoga space. Some people are very clear on it. Some people are a little bit more like, well, I love this. So like, I'll just do it for free. And then they do that for a little bit and then they realize that they can't pay their rent and then they feel better about the yoga and then they show up and they're not teaching. So it's like kind of this cycle that, you know, I like to step in and I'm like, okay, let's like break the cycle. Let's figure out how you can make money and make create a sustainable business that allows you to thrive while still feeling like you are not like being a greasy car salesman type thing. Mm-hmm. So I think another point of discussion here is that uh, with the age of technology that we're living in, uh, the ability to outsource work that you don't want to do to help grow your business is definitely real and definitely a thing that people can do. So do you advocate for outsourcing at all? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of like hiring people to do things that are not our, that are not your strength. Like, For me, I don't really love sitting down and doing my taxes each year. Like it definitely makes sense to hire an accountant. Even something like podcast editing is really, really nice to have off my plate. Um, I think looking at like what you like to do the least and then seeing if you can find somebody within your price range to help you with that is is really valuable. And even I, I hired somebody to help me with Facebook ads. Like I like, I've really learned the online marketing component of things. I like digital marketing. Facebook ads are something that I just find very tedious and I kind of struggle with. Like for me, it's better to have help with that because otherwise I'm either not doing them or I'm kind of just like throwing money into the depths of the internet, having no idea where it's going. And there's people who are like very, very excited and passionate about that. So yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with, with hiring out for things that you don't feel stoked about that feel necessary in your business. Awesome. So to generalize this or to expand on this conversation, what is some advice uh, for any entrepreneur or freelancer who is looking to start their own business? Hmm. That's a good one. I think getting clear kind of on what your intention is or or what you want to get out of what you're doing. Um, It was definitely a lot easier for me to work a corporate job where I showed up from like 830 to 430 and took a lunch break and Monday to Friday, that's all I worked. And I got paid every two weeks and it was consistent and I could take vacations and I still got paid for those. Like that was that was quite easy. Um, it didn't feel very purposeful for me and it didn't feel right. So I don't ever look back at that with regrets of leaving. But I think I also look back and recognize that like I chose a path that's a lot less linear and has been a lot harder. Like the first year that I worked for myself while we were over in Asia, I think I made like $12,000 in the whole year. Like that's barely enough money to live. It's certainly not enough like in Canada. And it's been really cool to watch my income continue to grow, um, you know, year to year. And for some years, even like totally double. But it's taken a lot of work. Like it's it's taken a lot of like putting myself out there, learning skills that I needed within my business. It's taken like, you know, a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings, a lot of like talking to to people to network to get my name out there. Um, 
just a, a lot of work. And it's like, for me, it's been very meaningful. But I think like going into it, knowing your why is really important because there's going to be moments where like it's midnight and you're really tired and you want to go to bed and you've got stuff you need to do because nobody else is going to do it. And if you don't get it out there, you don't get paid because, you know, you only get paid for what you're actually doing. And it's just like being able to come back to why you're doing it in that moment is really important. Um, and I think that that makes it sound like it's like all really hard. I think it's also knowing like how fulfilling it is and that you can also get to a point where you are able to like work smarter and not harder. But there's like a very, at least for me, there was like a huge learning curve and also a big period of growth where it was like, like I was like, I like don't make any money if I don't work. So I need to work. And then I would look at like, okay, I'm not making enough money. Like I need more work. Where do I find clients? Where do I find people that are willing to pay me? What are they going to pay me for? Um, and then creating those things, whether it's a program or a course or a package. Um, it's very much like you're on your own. And like I said, I'm independent. So like I really loved that challenge. But I think being realistic as you go into it is important for sure. Like knowing that it's going to be hard and then knowing that why so you can come back to it in the moments where you're like, man, that full-time job was so cushy. I should maybe just do that again. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So one of the most beautiful things about entrepreneurship to me is that one-to-one -one ratio where like whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Uh, it's not like a nine to five uh, job where there is safety and security. Um, but you know that you are your only per you're the only person that's going to hold you back and ultimately you answer to yourself and so with that comes this fear of uncertainty um it's a it's a huge stumbling block for people to actually take the path less traveled and build their own thing instead of uh, just going where to a company that has benefits and uh everything like that how did you go about tackling that fear yeah for sure um i think like i have a very strong kind of like I guess like personal personal practices in my life like I've built a lot of good habits like uh, my yoga practice for sure like meditating journaling um, journaling is kind of like my anchor when everything feels like it's going crazy in my mind um, when I feel like everything's like falling apart or I don't know like where money's going to come from or maybe if I need to like get something new and I'm freaking out like journaling is always kind of the way that I kind of ease ease myself a little bit like take myself out of panic mode I think I've also like built a lot of good habits around like trusting myself, like trusting that I have good skills, trusting that I know how to get work, trusting that I that I know how to get paid and that I know how to have those conversations and that, you know, that will happen. And I think, you know, I don't I don't necessarily sit in the camp of like just like trust the universe. And like, you know, I work in the yoga space. So there's a lot of that, a lot of that going around. I think we need to have some trust in some aspects, but it also needs to come from you. It needs to come from like, okay, I've done this before and I know I can do it again. Like I know in my bones that I am good at what I do. And I think that's where the trust for me comes from is like having done it before and knowing that I can do it again. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Having that, that gut, that gut intuition, intuition. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So I think that that's a big one. And then, yeah, my journal is definitely my, my place where I can like go a little crazy and then come back and understand it so I can like hop onto my next call feeling like totally steady and sane. Um, another thing is I spent like a good portion of early 2018 like working through my money stories. 
Um, all of us are kind of, you know, our parents kind of teach us about money. Society teaches us about money. And it's to no fault of our parents. Like our parents teach us what they know. But I think that unraveling that and understanding what your thoughts are around money is really important. Um, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to have conversations around how much you charge, how much your services cost. Um, you're going to have set to have to set prices for your products or services. Like it's just the reality of what you're going to have to do. And it's way more than you do in a full-time job. Like in a full-time job, it's like maybe you negotiate salary coming in and then they probably have some sort of like, this is how much we raise each, I don't know, quarter or half a year, year, whatever. And then you have those conversations. Maybe you ask for a little bit more, but you really don't have to like approach the topic that much if you don't want to versus like working for yourself. You're going to have to have those conversations almost all the time. And for me, it was like sitting down and being like, okay, how do you feel about money? How do you feel about talking about it? How do you feel about receiving it? And for me, I grew up in an environment where it was like, there's three things we don't talk about in public money, politics, and religion. So for me, talking about money was super, super awkward. It'd be like you being like, oh, how much do you charge for this? And I'd sit there being like, uh, um, uh, well, uh, I feel really weird mentioning my price. And it's like, you're asking me that question. Like, I shouldn't be weird about how much it is. It should just be like, oh, yeah, if you want to have a private yoga session, like it's going to be $65 for the hour. And then you leave it. That's you know, a great like, point. I, I yeah. never even thought about that aspect of things. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's a little bit different, but yeah, it was that was something that was really, really powerful for me, for sure. Awesome. So now I'm going to do something a little different. I've never done this on a podcast before. Um, I'm just going to throw some words at you, and I want you just to speak on whatever comes to mind in relation to those words. Okay. Got it? All right. So, so the first word is education. Education. That's a good one. So the first thing that comes to mind is kind of like I see a traditional education institute, like a school. So I think about kids in classrooms. Um, but then that image really shifts for me. Like it kind of is like that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And then it shifts to seeing like nature and buildings and cities. Like I feel like education for me or powerful education to me is like experiences, like being able to learn about a turtle because there's a turtle on the beach outside of your homestay in Hawaii is so powerful mm -hmm. or like being able to go into a city and be like, what's the history of the city and walk around. I think to me, like that's powerful education. Love it. So second word, freedom. Oh, that's a good one. So freedom for me is like the best way I can describe it is standing on the top of like a mountain or a hillside, probably near the water and just standing with my arms out and having like the wind kind of blowing around me, like this sense of lightness and ease. And there's nothing that's kind of like holding me back or holding me down. Do you think that freedom can also be a burden? Oh, that's a good question. I think it can be. And I think that it's it's kind of, I mean, freedom is such a big loaded word. And it's like, you know, what has our nation or our society or our news told us what freedom means? Because people will often be like, oh, it's so great that you're Canadian. Like you live in such a free country. But there's many ways that I feel more free when I go somewhere like Mexico. Like, for example, we can get tickets from the police for crossing the street, not at a crosswalk in Canada, even if there's no cars coming. Like to me, that doesn't feel very free. Like I'm a grown adult. I know how to cross the road. I'm not going to walk in front of a car. 
you know, why can't I make that decision? That feels like very unfree to me. Yeah. Yeah, But then there's like, I go to Mexico and I can do whatever I want. And that feels like very free. Yet a lot of people would say that like, Mexico is less free than than Canada in many ways, whether or not it's from the passport you hold or or whatnot. So I think I think I think my answer is yes, that it can be a burden because we hold more responsibility in our choices. But I think it also depends on how you define freedom. Love it. So uh, third word value. That's a good one. So the first thing that comes to mind is how you value something. So thinking about like if somebody gives you a gift, do you value that? Or thinking about like when you buy something for yourself, do you value it more? And for me, I've definitely found like things that I buy for myself with my own money. And I'm like, yeah, I worked so hard for this. I value so much. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then I also think of um, like the value that you can create for, you know, a business or a person or just in society in general. So that like value creation. So you being a valuable human. Mm, love it. So we're going to tie that into the fourth word, which is entrepreneurship. That's a good one. Cause I definitely think of like freedom. Freedom to me is kind of like entrepreneurship, like, I think with entrepreneurship, there's a sense of responsibility that feels to me really, really powerful and really good. Um, But there's also a freedom, a freedom of being able to, you know, like have conversations like this in the middle of the day. Like if I worked for somebody else in a full-time capacity, they'd probably be like, what are you doing? You can't do that. I'm also like sitting in my bed. Like that's, to me, that's like... (laughs) That's freedom. freedom. That is freedom. <laughs> and Andre, yeah, like I don't have to get out of my bed if I don't want to today. Um, <laughs> and it's like I like to like test the boundaries a little bit with that because it's something that I was like not allowed to do growing up. And like obviously I couldn't do when I worked full time. So I'm like, I'm going to work from bed today. Um, anyways, though, I think like those tie together. Like freedom to me is entrepreneurship. Hard work to me is entrepreneurship. So I see this like, I guess with imagery, like I see the freedom of like working from bed, working from home, you know, maybe going for coffee or to yoga or to the gym in the middle of the day. But then I also see like the hustle and the grind of like, this needs to get done today. Like this is on me to do and nobody else is going to do it if I don't. And that sort of self-responsibility aspect of it. I completely agree with that. So that's all the words I have for you. Thank you for doing that. You did amazing. <laughs> uh, so Yeah, that is, was really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is one book you would recommend to the audience uh, um, and that relates more to uh, entrepreneurship and things of that nature. Okay. So if you have female listeners listening, I really love um, She Means Business by Carrie Green. I actually kind of wish it was like more gender neutral because I think that everyone should read it, but it is very much like geared towards women. So I, I don't know what that experience would be as a male, but for, for women, She Means Business is really great. Um, another book I really like is called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. And she's got kind of this like sassy way of writing. So I think it's maybe not everyone's type of style, but I just felt like I read it at a really powerful time where it like, like everything she was saying, I was like, yes, this is amazing. And she really talks about like money stories and kind of understanding our value and our worth, which I think is really important work when you're working for yourself. Um, So that's a really good one. Another just book that I love that's been like super powerful in life in general, which has translated really positively into my work as um, an entrepreneur is 
The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem by Nathaniel Brandon. Even if you're sitting there being like, I have really good self-esteem and I have good self-confidence, I feel like there's still so much like amazing stuff that can come from that book. Like I've read it probably like three times. There's like exercises that he gets you to do. And each time I glean something different from it. And I think it's just that book that kind of every time I think I'm like doing great as a human, it like elevates me a bit more. So that would be my like all around kind of book recommendation for for anyone listening. Sweet. Uh, that's really intriguing to me. And to listeners, I'll leave that in the show note. Um, so how can the audience find out more about you and what you do and get in contact with you? Um, maybe learn more about Praxis or anything of that nature. Um, how can they get in contact with you if you wish? Yeah. So if they want to learn about Praxis, they can go to discoverpraxis.com. Um, I'm not going to be like their point of contact there, uh, but the team will will handle them well. And then if they come through Praxis, I'll be their pre-programmed module one advisor. Um, and then if they want to, you know, get in contact with me specifically, they can go to amandakingsmith.com. I'm also Amanda Kingsmith on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you're adding me on Facebook, just shoot me a message so I know who you are. Uh, you can also like email me from my website. It's super, super easy. If you're specifically more interested in like my travel podcast or my yoga business, uh, it's theworldwanders.com or mbomyoga, so mbomyoga.com. And those are The World Wanders on Facebook and in- no, The World Wanders podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Mastering the Business of Yoga on Facebook and Instagram. So yeah, amandakingsmith.com is like the place to find all the things, but then those are the other specific things if listeners happen to be interested in in one or the other more. So, Thank you. So wrapping it up here, final thoughts. Um, if you have any final bit of advice, encouragement, et cetera, for my listeners, please share that now. Yeah, so I think that if you have like some sort of inkling within you that feels like you want to be doing something different or you want to be pursuing something different, I think listen to that. I spent many years kind of not listening to that or not really knowing where to to go to follow that or what to do. And I think that, you know, our 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 gut feelings and and whatever's kind of within us is is pointing us in the direction that we should go. So really like tune in to that and listen to it. Even if it's like something weird, like wanting to travel to Bali to do a yoga teacher training, like <laughs> that's cool. Just follow those things that excite you and inspire you. And I think also part of like wrapping around to what you were saying about how do you find what you love? Like I think say yes to things, try things. Like if something sounds interesting to you, give it a shot. Even if it's something that you've never done before, or it's totally different from what you're currently doing for work. I think that's like where we find those things that we're super passionate about. So yeah, trust your gut. If you feel like you want to do something different, say yes to experiences and just go out and, you know, try things. Love it. Really resonate with that. Well, Amanda, thank you for your time and sharing your story with the Thriving United community. You're definitely an inspiration and I can't wait to follow you as you continue your journey. It's been a pleasure and I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for having me today. This has been super fun. Hey, 
Rovers, I just want to say thanks again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, gained value from this episode, I ask that you rate and review on whatever medium you're listening on. If you're listening on the website, I ask that you leave a comment and uh, start a discussion about the contents that we're discussing. Um, if you are interested in learning more about what I do, um, the, some of the thoughts that go through my head, um, I, I encourage you to check out the blog. I write at least weekly. I try to do more if I can. Um, but anyways, if you have more questions for Amanda, if you're more interested in learning more about what she does, she's an amazing individual, so I encourage you to reach out to her. If you're interested in more about Praxis, like she said, go to discoverpraxis.com, and you can work with her just like I am as I go through Praxis. So with that said, I hope you have a great week. Keep grinding. Keep growing. Let's thrive.